This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon here with you. We got a crew to talk about football. Uh, we got Eric Lopez. We got Stat Boy Drew himself, the college football hipster. The Leroy Jenkins of UCF Twitter Mafia, Andrew Blukoff. Uh, We got the student of the game, Kyle Nash, with us here. This is going to be a relatively short show, about an hour. You guys are used to us kind of marathoning it out for you every week around football season, but we're not doing that here because, you know, we're just as discombobulated as you are post-Ian. If you're listening to this, folks, we hope that you made it through the storm safe and sound, you and yours both. Um, We are thinking about all of our friends in uh, southwest Florida who – are suffering some such tremendous devastation down there. Um, you know, make sure that it, uh, there are going to be some activities during the UCF game, which was moved to Wednesday with SMU, uh, seven o'clock kick ESPN two, uh, that are going to be, uh, for the benefit of those, uh, who, uh, who are suffering right now in the aftermath of the storm. And this is kind of the part where, you know, things do get really, um, do, do get nasty. Uh, Drew, um, you live down in Bradenton, if uh, correct, like Bradenton, correct. Sarasota area. So correct. it was pretty bad down by you and still wasn't nearly as bad as it was down in um, Fort Myers. A, how'd you make out? And B, what was it like? Well, we, we got lucky. Uh, there was a cold front that pushed the storm. And unfortunately, that led to going up Charlotte Harbor and taking, taking out Fort Myers, flooding Naples, um, pretty much taking Fort Myers Beach off the map. Uh, originally, it was supposed to come up right over here, so we were we were getting pretty ready. I was lucky and got hurricane windows that I ordered in February installed the day before the storm hit. No it's a story in itself, and uh, we were very fortunate. We didn't lose power. Uh, our area, for whatever reason, it's it's on a grid with the fire with the fire department, and we didn't lose power during Irma either. So, you know, the most damage we had were. Uh, down trees and an easement behind our house. And then we had a little, a little woods in between that, that uh, protected us because the winds were coming out of the North about, I think they topped off about 80 miles per hour. We're about uh, 50 miles or so from the center when it was all said and done. So, I mean, we're very fortunate on for, uh, I have a lot of friends who aren't um, just talked to a friend who lives in Northport. They were trapped and uh, military came and pulled them out they couldn't get out of their, their neighborhood. So, I mean, it's, wow. and they weren't that close to the coast. Uh, this is something that we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, flooding. And obviously by UCF, we've seen the flooding. It's real. These are places unprepared for this kind of damage. And, you know, I look at this game as two, two things. One, it's, it's kind of going back to a sense of normalcy and it's also can serve as a distraction for a few hours where you don't, you know, if you can make it to the game, you don't have to worry about, other things you can just have a good time you know for this so you know sports brings us together you know I'm, i won't be at the game I'm, I'm staying local um but at least from this this side of, of town we're very fortunate you know power is almost fully back up in our county it was over 70 percent out um after the storm hit right we were part of that that 20 something that didn't didn't get it so knock on wood <laughs> i know yeah it and the uh, and you're absolutely right. And hopefully this show will at least serve as a somewhat somewhat of a rest for you as you get ready for the UCF against SMU. Um, you know, also I, you were talking about some of the damage. It's you know I think it's not so much that people were caught flat footed. I just think you know up here it's certainly in Orlando there are certain parts of um, Central Florida that got uh, unprecedented levels of rain that that no infrastructure could have ever really foreseen. Obviously, you know we. We've heard stories about some of the folks at Arden Villas, which is one of the apartment complexes near UCF, which suffered a tremendous amount of flooding. Um, uh, the the, uh, the place, of, I, be, I believe it's called the Place Apartments, uh, which is where my sisters both lived. Uh, the entire first floor was underwater. So, um, you know, obviously our house, our hearts are going out to a lot of the students um, who've been affected by this, lived off campus. Obviously UCF is trying to um, get, you know, try and get some arrangements done, uh, for them. Um, 
but uh, but this is hard. I think I, I think we were a lot of us were not fully prepared uh, for the sheer just amount of rain we were going to get. Um, you know, and I don't think you could be prepared for that much. So we're right now we are working here to try and get as much information as we can, so that if you have any extra resources to um, uh, to that you can spare to help displaced students. Uh, individuals, not just in Southwest Florida, but here in Central Florida as well. We're going to try and get that to you via our Twitter account, UCF Banner at underscore SBN, um, and just stay with us for all of that uh, as we move forward. All right. Um, not that we're trying to be insensitive. We are not, but you guys obviously downloaded this podcast to talk a little football, and that's what we're going to do now. The uh, Knights and SMU begin conference play in the American game that was scheduled originally for Saturday. Move back to Sunday, move back to move back again to Wednesday. It is now on ESPN two. Uh, and uh, and this is the this is the conference opener. This is the game, guys. This this was one of the marquee games on the schedule in the preseason. It is here now at FBC Mortgage Stadium. Eric, I want to start with you. So many storylines heading into this game. Obviously, not just. Uh, with both of these teams and considering where they are as we as they head into conference play, but also familiarity between the two head coaches. Gus Malzahn, of course, when he started out his career as a high school head coach, um, completely revolutionizing offenses. I got his book and there's entire sections of this book that are dedicated to Rhett Lashley, who is his quarterback at Shiloh Christian School in Arkansas and is now the head coach of the SMU Mustangs. Um, a lot, a lot of non-football but still interesting stuff simmering for this game eric no doubt storylines that you mentioned with rhett lashley there against gus conference opener two of the favorites in the league with houston on in the process as i would like to describe it as hogerson the season uh <laughs> folding it after just chumming it up it just being a complete debacle uh, really a flop. One of the biggest flops since maybe Waterworld by Kevin Costner. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, you know, he, so with that in mind, I think the question is who's the top team in the league. And I think Cincinnati's taken a step back, a step up in that, even though everybody assumed that they had a bunch of walk-ons for Luke Fickle. Apparently they have more than walk-ons on their team. Then you got these two teams. And Kyle, I know you've been a big proponent of SMU. They have, in my opinion, the best quarterback in this conference. They may have the best offense in this conference. They have the best receiver in this conference. This will be the first test that UCF defensively has had all year. With respect to Louisville and FAU, they're not at the level of SMU from an offensive standpoint. So you have that storyline. Then you got the storyline of UCF's offense against SMU's defense. SMU has struggled defensively against the run. UCF's going to run the ball. Can UCF actually throw the ball for more than 49 yards in a game? <laughs> to be determined. It it really, it's a lot of intrigue with these now being pushed to a Wednesday night. You don't know what to expect with this long layoff. I personally think SMU is the big benefactor of this layoff because they had just come off an emotional loss to TCU and their former coach. So they get a chance to recover from that emotional game where they might have had a bit of a hangover that they would have played on the normal Saturday. So I think this is a big step. I think the winner of this game takes a giant step to possibly playing for the conference championship game. The loser of this game, I think, digs themselves a big hole in that regard. Oh, 100%, Eric. And listen, it's not so much that I think um, that Cincinnati has a bunch of walk-ons. It's more that they don't have Tanner Mordecai, the worst kept secret in the conference, no matter what Red Lashley would tell you at AAC meeting today. <laughs> yes, he took another shot. No, but listen, everything you said is flat out true, uh, Eric. And listen, regardless of what's going on with SMU's defense, because I think even in the preseason, we would all acknowledge that between that defense and the youth of the offensive line, those were the two big weak points um, as we pointed them out. And listen, as much as, as, as you and I, you know, uh, uh, poke fun at, at, you know, certain picks and certain things and the hard time I've given you about Houston and picking them instead of SMU and all that. No, oh, I, I, a Hogers in the pick. I admit it. I Hogers in the pick. I see what it's you did there and I love way. it. Um, and listen, nobody saw Holgerson doing this bad. I certainly didn't. Um, and, and, you know, I neither did his agent, but anyway, no, uh, but all of that aside, um, yeah, I think the big thing here is the, the one thing that I think Lashley has very easy 
he and his defensive staff is to go all in stopping the run, right? No shocks here. And listen, let UCF beat you in the sky. Let's assume Plumley handles business and throws the ball. Well, the receivers, if you read the preview that I put out there on the black and gold banner, you will acknowledge that coach, uh, coach Malzahn has acknowledged that not only has there been challenges in the past game and Plumley getting used to things and all that, the receiving core, in general, having trouble catching the football has been a big part of that. I notice, I, mm-hmm. I, I noticed the way you worded it, saying the passing game and not the Plumlee game. Everybody there is struggling. Pass protection, all of it. It's 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 a three pronged issue in the air. And, and listen, if they're made one dimensional, UCF has a problem. Uh, Drew, I want to get your your thoughts on this too, because you know everyone's going to point to the Georgia Tech game. Uh, where uh, Plumlee's numbers in that game, 8 of 16, 49 yards, one interception, no touchdowns, although he did run for 100. Uh, no UCF player caught more than three balls. No UCF player had uh, uh, had more than 22 yards catching. Uh, that was Isaiah Bowser. Uh, and yet, and yet, they still handled Georgia Tech 27 to 10. That's a Georgia Tech team that, by the way, right after, fired Jeff Collins, and promoted – and the AD, former former UCF AD Todd Stansberry, by the way, promoted former UCF offensive line coach and offensive coordinator Brent Key to head coach, who then promptly leads Georgia Tech to a victory on the road at number 23 Pitt, Pittsburgh in his first ever game as a head coach. I thought I would get that out there because you know the Brent Key effect is obviously in full is is obviously in full swing here, but to tie this back into UCF, uh, are were you are you concerned heading into this SMU game with the passing game? Because for two reasons, I ask you this. Number one, to me, it looked like we didn't even really try to pass against Georgia Tech. Uh, and number two, uh, here's here's the key number I think for here. All right, SMU, like Eric alluded to, SMU's rushing defense. 180.5 yards per game, 105th in the country. UCF's rushing offense right now, third in the country at 275.8 yards per game. So, okay, we didn't throw the ball a lot last week, but we're probably not going to have to throw the ball a lot this week either. Well, the, the key to a good coaching staff is you take what the defense gives you. And you know they they did and pass giving up a lot of rushing yards at SMU this year. <laughs> well, I would say you know they're going to be running the ball plenty. I mean, this is a run first team to begin with, but you know they didn't have one. You know the passing game was struggling, and, and, I, and as as you mentioned before, it's the passing game. It's not just the quarterback. It's not just the receivers. It's not just the offensive line. It's the whole package. I mean, you think Kyle put that really well. Uh, it's it's the whole package, and, and there there was definitely a synchronization problem. You know, they were not all on the same page, and uh, they were able to abandon it because they didn't need it. You know, they they were able to just just run the ball. You, you know what works? It's your bread and butter. Uh, you know that ag- the passing game or the lack of it actually is not a big concern of mine. You know. Aside from the fact that it's an odd number game now, which means you're going to see like a 300 yard passing game or something because he seems to be, you know, hot and cold, hot and cold. Uh, the, like the, is this like the O'Leary and the odd numbered years thing? Remember that? Uh, pretty much. I mean, yeah. pretty much. Um, my, the, the part that I notice is, is the fact that you, you have a, a, you know, very run heavy, but you're seeing certain players do certain things. And, you know, the rise of, R.J. Harvey, who I, I think is physically the the best you know running back that's currently on the field, uh, you know coming out of his shell, twelve carries, seventy three yards. You know, you look at the dynamics of the running game. You know, you have Plumlee who can just tuck it and go. Uh, Isaiah Bowser has struggled in the numbers, but don't let the numbers fool you. His role is to make the defense crash the line. Mm-hmm. And that hurts his numbers, but because of that, there's an effect. And it's he's like only, an innings eater. He know? really is. He really is. And and I've seen people online talking about how oh his numbers aren't good. Maybe he's not doing it right. No, uh, actually, he's almost becoming like a decoy. 
uh, and this is you're, you're seeing with the, the struggles of the offensive line and, and their explosive. There's only so much he can do. He's not an off tackle runner. He's a he's a between those front gap guys. Now, you you have Johnny Richardson who can go outside and and he can sneak in under under defenders. I mean, it, the way he weasels through uh, would be tacklers is is amazing, just absolutely amazing. Uh, and then you have R.J. Harvey who has not quite the size of Bowser, but has the ability to go off tackle more, like like a Johnny Richardson would. Not as much speed, but that's where he's. So you're actually getting, you have three backs, one up the middle, one off tackle, one that specializes in the outside. And as a result, you have this really dynamic running back core that that's really difficult to game plan for. And even though they, they struggled a bit as a whole last game, you know, they only averaged five yards a carry, which for them is kind of low. Uh, they did what they had to do. Yeah. Uh, actually the biggest problem on the, uh, was the fact that the defense was getting gashed outside of the red zone by, by Georgia tech. I mean, they had over 20 plays of 10 or plus yards, uh, but that's a completely different situation altogether. So I, I'm not worried about the passing game. You take what the defense gives you. This is a run first team. We knew this coming in. And if they don't have to utilize the pass, they're not going to. Let me add to that really quick with Bowser's stuff there, Drew. Uh, of these running backs, when you see a Rice Plumley run, be successful, buddy. You know who is the lead blocker? Tailback, old school style, doing some borderline Larry Sonka stuff at times, Isaiah Bowser. And, and I, I asked both Chip Lindsay and Matt Lee, the center, um, about what impact they have in protection and blocking, and Bowser, huge part of it, according to both guys. So, yeah, that, that's a, something else that puts him on the field more often than the other speed backs. Don't let that yard per average thing fool you. If you're not accounting for Bowser and part of Plumlee's run success, you're doing it wrong. I, well, I, I want to look at uh, you know rushing yards right now. John Rice Plumley is the leading rusher on the team, 404 yards total. He's averaging 5.9 a carry. Isaiah Bowser is 228. Johnny Richardson is 218. RJ Harvey has 123. Ryan O'Keefe is 95. So a lot of distribution. Uh, we know that Plumley has thrown for 827. He's, his completion percentage has dropped back down underneath 60%. He's at 59 right now, five touchdowns, three picks. He's been sacked nine times. And yet I feel guys as though, and Eric, I want to start with you on this. I still feel like Gus is doing, remember Kyle, we talked about this, how the way Gus kind of plays, not just a a game, but the season out is very Floyd Mayweather versus. um, Well, yeah, well, we, we said, we said it was that the Georgia tech game was UCF is Floyd Mayweather versus Georgia tech being Conor McGregor. Yeah. But Conor McGregor, right. They're going to, he's going to feel you out. And if he's going to win by decision, he'll take it. Right. He's not going to try and knock you out if he doesn't have to, but Eric, there are still some things in this, in the offense that I feel like have yet to be utilized. And in your opinion, is that because Gus is saving it for a game like this one? Or is it because there's something going on that we don't know that those options aren't available? They may not be able to execute it. I mean, we I, I'm not as concerned about the play call. I know people have to go to like, hey, that play calling this. Or, you guys know this. If you execute the plays, you could be the most vanilla play call. Nobody could stop it, right? Like, I mean, that's my only concern is the basic stuff. Like there were some bad throws like Johnny Rover throwing Johnny Richardson on screen pass. Simple stuff like that to me should be a executed i don't think you have to like open up the playbook and if anything that could complicate some things just execute what you have and i think you'll be fine uh do i think there's some stuff they might say for smu probably so probably so because i think gus knows deep down a you gotta score points you can't settle for field goals all right the, the problem with the georgia tech game was they kept georgia tech in the game because they didn't put ball in the end zone they kept settling for field yeah. goals gus you're not gonna be too by the way elo say that again Gus said the same thing about yeah, that, that. That's a problem. And the, my concern with the passing game is what happens when you fall behind. All right. You, Georgia tech was never a threat in that regard. SMU could be Cincinnati could be Tulane could be what happens. Then you want to be confident that you could execute that. So I think this is an important game for John rice Plumley 
to play at a high level because you are the underdog as far as the quarterback position is concerned. SMU has a decided advantage in that position. You got to go, if you want to throw out last year, because obviously Mikey King was a backup, you probably go back to what? The South Florida game 2016 when UCF had the lesser of the quarterback play? Quentin Flowers versus a freshman Mackenzie Milton? That matters in college football. And that's my concern is, can is the gap so big that that's the difference in the game? Because Mordecai can win this game by himself. I don't believe John Rice Plumley can yeah. at this Mord- point. Mordecai right now, 1,385 passing yards, 12 touchdowns, five interceptions for uh, SMU. But, you know, UCF, uh, they're coming off, like you said, two straight losses. And they're two victories, SMU. Um, even though they even though they've scored plenty of points, not all that impressive. They won at North Texas. Uh, they beat Lamar at home, uh, but then a loss at Maryland in College Park. Of course, a loss to TCU. You mentioned how emotional that was facing their former coach. Uh, this is an SMU team that hasn't proven anything yet. At least I don't think either yet. team has proven anything. That's the they haven't. Part. I don't think anybody's I mean, proven. This is a bit. That's why I think this is a show me game for both sides. Here. Yeah, yeah. Both both teams have something to prove here because I mean UCF hasn't defeated anyone either, and and losing to Louisville is a bad loss. I mean, take right. what it is. It's a bad loss. Uh, so I mean, they they both have you know something to prove, and they're going to be uh, in a spotlight game. So this actually is a blessing in disguise for both teams. This was going to be a relegated game on Saturday. Now it's prime time on on ESPN two. So you're going to have eyeballs, you know, more so than you would on ESPN U. So this, this is an opportunity to, to make a statement. The question is who's going to rise up. Hey, listen, as much as we're poo pooing what's going on with SMU, let's also keep in mind, Maryland is a team that challenged the number four ranked team in the nation at one point in Michigan, as much as drew, I'm sure is going to have something to say about that as a Buckeye. <laughs> and then on top of that, listen, TCU, TCU might be the best team in the big 12. Well, okay, that's possible. Yeah, I, I wasn't even thinking of that, but that's not a bad point by you, Eric. Sure, I'm not prepared to sell out on Oklahoma State, but they're in the running right now. You're right, right about that. 100% they have a game against Kansas this weekend that could decide that, to your point. But certainly TCU beats the bejesus out of Louisville or Georgia Tech on that front. So let's let's not go a little too crazy on, on talking down SMU too much. The the We can see what we can about past schedule and all of this. Here's what we know. The best quarterback in the AAC, regardless of what Rhett Lashley will have you have us believe, is going <laughs> to keep pounding this. Oh not letting God. it go, boss man. You're damn straight. Well, you're well, like you're you're like you're like a pit bull who's got a hold of something hanging from an oak tree, man. Well, it's but, like, but let me let me. I'll go a step. Your further. jaw is locked on this. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go a step further with Kyle. Not only do they have, you could argue they have the best quarterback in the league. I think they have the best receiver in the league. Yeah, Rusty yeah, Rice, who yeah. nobody has an answer for and that's the thing i'm curious what you guys think how does ucf cover rasheed rice who has been a machine so far 34 catches in four games 16 yards a catch four touchdowns 565 yards he is the clear go-to guy to mordecai that they have a chemistry there so how do you think travis williams plays that do you just man up on him do you have some help how would you do that well the key is keep him front keep him in front uh, don't don't give up the deep ball. So you're gonna. Uh, I'm if I had to pick, I'd pick Devontae Brown to be man man on man. Nice and and you know have a safety you know drop back as that secondary coverage yeah. if you go if he breaks out. But the key is keep him in front. You know let him try to dink and dunk it. And and because you know you have linebackers that are going to be uh, you know patrolling the area uh, that can pr- potentially make a play if they keep it within the short yardage situation. You know give up you know, five, six, six yards on, on a, on a pass, but you know what the key is don't let him behind you. Cause he will get a lot of yards. He's got great hands. He knows how to break open a big play. Uh, and that guy's got a bullseye written, you know, all over him. Now, I, one thing I thought, I'm sorry, Kyle, I just want to make one point. One thing that UCF has been pretty good at this year is they have not let a, a, a off a, a opposing receivers um, get past them. Uh, UCF right now, this season, uh, 14th in the country in passing yard, fewest passing yards allowed, 169.8. Obviously, that South Carolina State game kind of skews the data a little bit, but still, well, you know, we they haven't been beaten on any on, on any long balls. Jeff, this year. It, it comes down to fundamentals there because you know they gave up over 300 yards passing to Georgia Tech, 
And that wasn't because of bad coverage. A lot of that was because of bad tackling. Uh, right. They had opportunities. A lot of yards it, after the catch. It, 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 it You get back to those fundamental things. Uh, you know, that's what kept Florida Atlantic in, you know, looking good the first quarter. There was a lot of, 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 of missed tackles that should not, shouldn't have happened. That They're going to have to be on their A game. Because those guys that that back that back seven they're going to be tested, and, and you know there's going to be catches made. They have to make the open field tackle. Kyle, comes you you had your point that you wanted. on this too, Drew, because I think this kind of builds into what you're saying. Anybody who's been watching T. Will this and last year, his tendency is to sit back, bend, don't break. Right? How many ever, uh, red zone stops and field goal misses? We're on three games straight where the team coming in the house or going into the first quarter uh, misses a field goal. Travis Williams kind of scheme is to sit back to make sure you don't get that big, big play. Ben, don't break. We're going to stop you. We're going to make sure you only get three. If you make the damn kick, which I don't think SMU is going to have that problem the way the previous three teams did, but that kind of falls right into the way that uh, Travis Williams generally calls his defense. Wouldn't you say Drew? Oh yeah, and, and Georgia Tech went 0 for five in in the red zone, and it goes back to that. You know, when when the field gets tight, and, and you 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 lose that that downfield option, uh, it's kind of like what I'm saying. You know, you you don't you keep them in front, and you're able to make plays because that defensive seven, the back seven, uh, have have a good eye for the ball. Yeah. yeah. Reason why all you do is knock the ball away. Right. And 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 here's the three key stats that back that up to uh, Drew and Kyle, UCF right now, number one in the country in red zone defense, mm-hmm. 40% allowed. They're also 10th in the country in third down conversion percentage allowed, just 26.8%. And to kick it all off, they are tied for 11th in the country in fewest first downs allowed, only 68 hmm. this year through four well, games. Little skew on that from the last game, just because there were so many chunky yardage plays, there was less first downs to be had. Let's, they let's gotta really conversion. tighten that up. Less yeah. third downs to come up for conversions. I got you, Drew. True. Yeah, but, I mean, you're giving up over 20 plays of 10 plus yards to Georgia Tech, and you're gonna be going up against Tanner Mordecai. You really gotta tighten things up. By the way, an well, SMU offense that averages 150 yards on the ground, and we saw how Louisville was able to move the ball on UCF by running the football. I mean, this is you know. I'm curious too how the defensive line for UCF. They got to win this game here. You can't put pressure on Mordecai, stop the run, make them one dimensional. If you get pushed around by SMU, it could be a long night. And this is a good defensive line. You know, we're, we're, we we you know you have uh, arguably the best defensive ends that we've had in the last three years. You know, with uh, Traymond Morris Brash uh, uh, on one side, and you know, yeah, yeah, who was everywhere the other. He is ever. My is, gosh, he is an absolute monster. But the guy I actually want to highlight on the defensive defensive tackle, Lee Hunter, who is is young. He's growing, and every game he just seems to become his legend. Just continues to grow. But this is a young guy who still has room to to improve, and he's just physically dominating guys um, that are, that are old, you know, older than him. He's uh, I believe a red shirt freshman and, yeah. and he's playing like a junior. I mean, th- this guy is an absolute beast. And, you know, you need a guy like, like Hunter disrupting the pocket because he, I mean, you watched him against Fort Atlantic and Georgia tech. He was throwing guards around like they were rag dolls. I mean, yeah. he looked like he wasn't even trying and he was just barreling through into the defense, into the offensive backfield. They need that. Make Mordecai move out of the pocket, make him uncomfortable, and it makes the defensive back's job that much easier. They, they're mm-hmm. going to need help. Uh, one point I wanted to bring up with these two teams, they're averaging <laughs> combined. <laughs> combined, they are averaging 157 plays per game. Well, I mean, are you surprised? You know, you no, but I'm just warning everybody. We might be around for for a while on Wednesday night. It's going to be a late Wednesday. Might want to call him to work. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go that far. I don't think there'll be as much domination by either squad. Uh, generally speaking, I don't think you'll have an abundance of turnovers uh, in this game per se. That, that it, 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 it should be close. UCF is a three point favorite according to Odd Shark right now, which means it's essentially a pick even game. You always can make right. the three point swing for the home team. So basically, they're just saying it's a pick even game. Yeah. 
Uh, that's that's a tough one for me to figure out. But then again, how much have we really seen of either team with the varied opponents as we discussed earlier? But gentlemen, I'll say this, agreeing with everybody on this on the panel who said it so far, both Coach Malzahn and Coach Williams have said that SMU is has a good shot at being the best offense at the very least, if not the best team that they face this year. And certainly um, a tough way to start off conference play. Over under, by the way, 63. For this yeah. game. So you're looking at what? 33 30. Yeah. If you're UCF to win this game, that needs to be under. You need, yeah. So. UCF needs the under. Yeah. You okay. don't want to get into a shootout. UCF's not built for built for a shootout. Uh, 88% of the money is on the over on this one. 77% of the money is on UCF minus the three. That sounds so. like people agreeing with me that, that they're going to, well, I shouldn't say I'm thinking they're going to blow UCF out, but they agree that the SMU offense has enough weapons to do so. Yeah. I'm well, surprised so much money is going for UCF in this case. Well, they're at home. They're at home. Home game. Tell, that tells you too, how they don't believe SMU could slow down UCF. I yeah. Mean, that's the well, other aspect. One of, one of the other things I wanted to, that we wanted to bring, there, there was a story that dropped earlier this week. Uh, it was originally reported by on three that, um, well, it's it, it was a little confusingly worded. It said that uh, several SMU players were considering basically sitting out the rest of the season and taking their shot in the transfer portal. But when we look back and analyze it, it was four players, two receivers, two defensive backs, who have a combined three starts between them. Hmm. Uh, none of them in the in the most recent game. Um, I know a lot of people made kind of a big deal about that. Like, oh my, it kind of sounded like half the roster was quitting on Rhett Lashley, but that doesn't seem to be the case, does it? No, I'm, not at all. It, yeah, um, I mean, the, the truth on this is while they depth gets takes a shot, uh, I think one or two were in the two deep, and they and there was a couple, especially in the defensive backfield, had a bigger role in prior seasons. They kind of fell out of favor this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, losing depth always hurts, but this is part of the natural attrition of, of a coaching change. You know, players give it a shot. Uh, they, you know, they fell out of favor for one reason or another, and they want to look for another opportunity. They want to maintain their red shirt. Remember, game four to game five, this is going to be the new norm where guys after game four are going to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to transfer. I'm, I'm done. I want to save my red shirt. And, and they're going to leave before that fifth game. So I, I can't say I'm surprised that the timing makes perfect sense for, for, for something like this to go down. Drew, we can weigh it this way. Were any of the players le- uh, allegedly leaving uh, or planning to leave as important as De'Eric King and Dana Hogerson's first year? No? Oh, no. well, nothing will ever be that big. Okay. Yeah, you mean when Dana Hogerson, that uh, situation? Yeah, that, that same coach, that same yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I used to say, you know, teams used now. to UCF the game because UCF in our in our younger days would snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. But I think Holgerson may be the new thing now. Who do, we, who do we rag on more in this show this season so far? Rhett Lashley, re Tanner Mordecai, or Dana Holgerson, re well, wave well, my hands well, around yeah. everything. If you nix Kyle out of this equation, Rhett Lashley's a non-factor. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's fair. I, uh, well, Rhett Lashley was on our uh, coaching list, Drew, when we did the UCF head coach. Yes, he campus. was. He was right. I would have been very happy with Rhett Lashley. Here we are. Yeah. And here we are. That's right. Well, I mean, and now he's facing his old guy, his old uh, coach and old mentor in Gus Malzahn. Um, back on to the uh, UCF side of things. I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, do encourage everyone to listen to Terry Mahajer earlier on Tuesday. Uh, he did a Twitter space with our old friend, Jimmy Skiles, uh, where they discussed what would be going on um, for the game day atmosphere on Wednesday night. Classes are not going to be canceled. So it's going to be pretty busy around rush hour. Um, parking situation is going to require some patience to say the least. So folks, if you're listening to this, Trust me, you'll get through it. You'll that get means there. you, Kyle. That means you, Kyle. That means me too. I'm going to be getting I, in I there mean, around. Listen, and and Jeff is a spinning ball of rage. Can't you tell? Uh, yeah, I my road rage is is uh, is is known if not documented. But um, the yeah, but yeah, we're probably not going to get that big of a crowd as we would have gotten on Saturday, but I don't think that needs to be a relevant discussion because of how the game was moved. I think the more important thing 
is with regard to actually hosting the game on campus. It's going to be busy. So everyone just, you know, pack your patience for this one. Um, but also, you know, when we zoom out, look at the big picture a little bit here. Next week, this or this coming weekend was supposed to be both teams by week. They are now playing in the middle of this week, which means that the buy for UCF and SMU, but we're talking about UCF here, has been turned into sort of two half by weeks, if you will. So, Kyle, I want to start with you. Does that help UCF? Does that hurt UCF? Does it not matter? How does that play out? You know, it kind of balances the advantage that SMU would have gotten in preparing for this group. And, and, you know, you hinted before earlier, Jeff, that there was an aspect in in the Georgia Tech game that they were going to call offense to kind of hide things from SMU. I actually asked Chip Lindsey about that following the Georgia Tech game. He said that there wasn't so much hiding plays that was necessary because Georgia Tech's offense is basically completely different than SMU. And frankly, I don't think that's coach speak. I buy it. So I, I leave that by saying any time they would have lost um, in preparation, they were able to make up for it a little bit. And I heard Coach Malzahn say that, you know, he's he's it's one of those things where you like to self-evaluate during that bye week and tweak things a little harder. Didn't get that full week, but they did spend some time doing that. So if there were an extra extra drills, for example, for receivers to to work on catching passes, getting that more in sync, whatever it is you'd like to have, anything you'd like to adjust um, as far as these extra coverages for the receiver core, that's far more significant than anything I think UCF has faced to date. You know, they had a little time for that, but uh, not quite as much. And, you know, to Eric's point, you would have preferred to have that extra time in sync with your opponent um, instead of, you know, again, losing Dave's to storm coverage, you know, and all that, honestly. But I, I think those extra couple days, that half by week was more helpful in, uh, evening things out to prepare for SMU. They lose some rest into the following p- week, but is, you know, anybody really that worried about Temple? Yeah, uh, well, th- you know, thir- Thursday, Thursday night game at home. It's the space game, October 13th against Temple. It's still a long week just by one extra day and not three. Correct. So, uh, yeah, I, and Eric, I, I know what you're going to say about Temple. You're going to say something about it being a... a it's a bye a, week. It's a bye week. Yeah, see? I knew it. I it's knew it. Week. I knew it's it. It's a bye week. Uh, uh, look, I feel for the fans. I do say this. I'll, fa- I, I'll defend the fans in this. You've had a Thursday home game, a Friday home game, and now a Wednesday home game. Very <laughs> limited Saturday experience, which to a lot of fans is a big deal, right? From a tailgating standpoint, from spending a whole day. Let's be honest, there's going to be people that don't go to this game on Wednesday because of work-related reasons. Maybe they can't make it to the game. There's going to be people, quite honestly, they're going to leave the game early because they have work the next morning. So it's not ideal, but none of this is ideal. Right. So right. I, I, I see both sides. Of it. I, I thought it was I, interesting what Terry Moazer said, and Drew, I'm going to get to you on this too, is that, you know, uh, he kind of, it, Terry was more or less saying without saying it for, for based on what I was hearing that, Hey, look, this isn't the, I, you know, all things being equal, you know, we all are trying to focus on recovering from this disaster. Right. But there are obligations that have to be met to the conference, to the TV partners in particular. And so here we are. So we're going to use this event to, and UCF is actually doing this. I wanted to go, go over some of the issues. Um, they are doing, in, in partnership with Knights Pantry, this is according to UCFnights.com, fans are encouraged to bring non-perishable goods to the UCF equipment truck on IOA Plaza, uh, recommended including uh, bottled water, shelf-stable protein-rich items, such as canned meat, fish, peanut butter, bars, vegan protein sources, travel or single-use toiletries, and canned openers. Um, there will be emer- uh, uh, opportunities to donate via emergency relief QR codes throughout the stadium. So this is, uh, by the way, a Flo Grown, who's one of the apparel partners for UCF this year, new, uh, will be uh, uh, selling uh, one Florida shirts. 100% of the profits go to hurricane relief efforts. So this is going to be kind of like a fundraiser, if you will, for relief efforts. And I think that's, you know, it, given the entire situation, I, I, everyone's saying, look, it's, you know, it's football. It's not nearly as important. And you're absolutely right. But if, if there are contracts that need to be, 
you know, fulfilled, then you know what? Let's take this opportunity to help help out our fellow Floridians. And I think that's a good thing that what we're doing, Drew. Well, I mean, the window was very small. I mean, uh, you know, you couldn't do it. You know, they originally had it Sunday and, and, and Terry said, you know, by Thursday, they knew that Sunday wasn't happening. So they immediately started working on it. I mean, campus wasn't, you know, nothing was open Monday. And then you get into Tuesday and things are still in flux. So, I mean, Wednesday really was the best spot. It moved everything from week five to week six. Uh, and while it gives a bit of an advantage to SMU because they're able to practice and they're not distracted by what's going on, um, you know, it's 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 a delicate balance. There was no there was this was a no win situation for for Terry and the crew. Um, there was no way to make it where everyone could be satisfied. And it became a case where you had to take all the different parties and weigh which was the most important. And it became the team was the most important party out of the UCF side, not the fans. So instead of pushing it to a Saturday, putting it on ESPN plus and, and giving this, you know, allowing the fans to make it and, you know, giving the short week to, to the, the football team, that wasn't in the best interest. Plus, SMU had the same problem. They have a short week too. They play Friday, uh, so yep. it was all about you know the balancing act. And, and I think Terry was pretty contrite about about it. You know, he he, you know, wasn't you know obviously you could tell he wasn't happy how things played out, but it was more of you know what was in the best interest of, of everyone involved directly with the athletics program. Cause that's his, that's his primary goal is, is doing what's best for athletics. And, and he, you know, unfortunately the fans got the short end of the stick on this one. Uh, it's not their fault. It's not UCF's fault. You know, and you, you can blame mother nature and that's who, who do caused all this. And, and you're just, you're just making the best of a bad situation. Like they, you know, they're trying to keep campus open as long as possible for school. They're going to have food trucks in Iowa Plaza to, you know, in, in lieu of there's going to be no tail, tailgating setups in um, Memory Mall. And, and tailgating is going to be light. You know, half the gold lots are opening at four. The other half are opening at five for a seven o'clock game. So, you know, timing's going to be short. Plan accordingly, Kyle. Uh, and, uh, you know, just you know, try to make the best of it. Again, this is an opportunity to, to kind of forget about the world for a little bit and enjoy, enjoy sports, which has a habit of bringing us together uh, during times of tragedy. By the way, I'm trying to figure this out. You, either of you guys know, uh, Drew or Eric in particular, I think you guys might have a bit. When was the last time UCF played a game on a Wednesday? Uh, Conference USA against UAB, or I think it was around 2010, 2011. It was right around the time, I think it was might have been the night that Roy Halladay threw a no-hitter in the baseball playoffs. That's why I remember that. Uh, yeah, I seem to recall. recall uh, I thought it might have been in the Mac days, but I believe yeah, it. They, they, yeah, Beth Mowens called that game. That's why I remember I was there for the – it was a UAB I don't game. think UCF ever played a Wednesday Mac game. I don't think they ever did on Wednesday. Um, that, that didn't really pick up until later. Right. They played I thought, I thought we played – I thought we played like a Tuesday game once. Uh, we played we played in some weird days of the week when we were in the MAC. Like yeah, we've had there, we've right? had some Sunday games too, right, Drew? Yeah, Sunday night football. You've had we Sunday did uh, yeah. early in the season. Yeah, early. Oh, no, season. even conference against East Carolina in 08, I want to say. Oh, that's right. Something. Yeah, that yeah. was a Sunday night. Was it one of the Marshall games also on a Sunday? Uh, no, there was one on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, we played them on Thursday. There were some midweeks there. So, all right. Well, again, here's the deal. So, we, uh, if you have some spare items to uh, bring, some non-perishable food items, uh, if you have bottled water, some spare bottled water, I know I do. um, You know, bring it to the game. uh, Make sure you donate it. And uh, and like you said, you know, we're, it, this will be an opportunity for us to help out our fellow Floridians. Yes, Drew, before we go. Uh, to answer your question now, in 2003, UCF had both Sunday and a Wednesday game. They had Sunday at Virginia Tech to open yeah. the season. And then they had Wednesday home uh, home against Marshall, the second last game of the year in the midst of the Yeah, Alan Gooch was losers. the interim coach because Gooch yeah. had gotten fired. Yeah, Stephen Moffitt was the quarterback. Yeah, that was when they, they were trying to build up that Marshall-UCF rivalry, which flopped. I would say well, it was good it the year before. It, I mean, it flipped. 
the rivalry turned out to be on the basketball side where coaches are faking heart attacks and, I mean, a bunch of stuff going on. Well, between Tom Harrion and UCF yeah. stealing Donnie Jones, I mean, there's no right. <laughs> It's just weird. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this wild. game, ESPN2, Rini Angolia will be the analyst with uh, Tiffany Green. That will be your crew for uh, ESPN2. By, by the way, a couple of Orlando locals, by the way. Which is probably right. Right, because obviously, 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 Rini is is from the area, and uh, and T Green, of course, worked for uh for News Thirteen for a long, long Correct. time. Correct. And uh, and I believe I believe she still lives in lives in the area, right? Uh, either there or Tampa. I've heard both. I think she may have been moved to Tampa, but right. either way, she's in either the way area, within the so region. We could see T Green again. What other either positive way, short drive? Short right. drive. Uh, there's no baseball. All the baseball games are in the afternoon. And, 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 and Mr. Aaron judge hit his 62nd home run on Tuesday night. So all you college football people. Like <laughs> so, so UCF won't get, yeah. won't, won't get, thanks Eric. Andrew judge or, or, won't get Aaron Andrew judge. judge, Andrew judge. Uh, I, and I'm a Yankee fan. I'm embarrassed at myself. They won't get Aaron judged on, uh, on Wednesday nights. So, uh, so here's a spoiler for you guys. I judge everybody. Hey, yeah. Uh, Thanks, Leroy. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, uh, Drew will get to keep the dad joke belt for one week uh, until Kyle and I wait. wait I want team it? to tag team to take it from him uh, it, in next week's show. Don't get us. Don't don't encourage don't, him to pause. We don't need him yeah. to continue to be the master of the non sequitur. Let's yeah. Let's go ahead. Oh, we got the third nickname in. All right. Let's but, get. But I'm definitely not the dad joke king. You guys like to fight over that one. Sure thing, Agent of Chaos. Boom. All yes. Jeff, you're welcome. Well done. Well done. On that I'll note, take that we're going to take, we're gonna take a break. thing that Jeff throws out there. College football hipster. That's insulting. I got it twice. It's also true. Uh, <laughs> you could take your PBR Wednesday and shove it. Night, Wednesday night, UCF and SMU, ESPN2. Uh, we will be there covering it. I will be on PA, of course. Uh, and Kyle, uh, you will be there along with Bryson, Eric, and Drew. You'll be following on television. Yeah, and uh, midnight, probably, huh? Four five hour game. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, hey, listen, let's hope that UCF rushing offense does what it's supposed hey, to that's do, a big right? Positive. Shorten I, the game. Oh, I love that. Well, yeah, that'll speed the game. That opening drive, that oh. opening drive against Georgia Tech was 10 minutes. Let's go. We look George, up and we're like, man, George, this game's man, moving. George O'Leary had a smile on his face after that drive. I know. It was like a tribute to George O'Leary in the first 10 minutes of the game, running the ball, getting it with it's a for you, Georgie drive. boy. That's for you, coach. All right. Uh, make sure you follow uh, Drew at Statboy. Drew, follow Kyle at the SOTG for the student of the game. When we get back, Bryson Turner is going to join us to talk, update us on UCF volleyball. Uh, getting the brooms out up in Kansas for a double dip up there against Wichita State and Tulsa as they got out of Dodge. Perfect okay. season. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> I don't. Okay. Listen, we're not. We're, we're this. I, I'm like talking about a no hitter. I'm invoking the no hitter rule. Yes. Thank you, Drew. That's I what just we're doing watched on the Nolan Ryan documentary. How Wait, is ooh. our local Duke of the Diamond messing that up? That doesn't make any sense to me. Also, soccer to talk about, and some and a big cross country weekend. Believe it or not, down in Boca, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Stick around; the Black and Gold Banner Podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Bryson Turner now joining as we wrap up uh, the goings on over the uh, over the well, hurricane. I was about to say holiday break, <laughs> hurricane. For um, all sports, uh, the the big story was in volleyball, guys. As uh, UCF was scheduled to open up conference play at home this weekend, obviously with Ian, that didn't happen. But rather than cancel the matches outright, I thought what Todd Dashney did was a shrewd move. Uh, UCF was scheduled to play Wichita State and Tulsa at home instead. They got together with Wichita State. UCF drove up to Atlanta, flew out to Wichita to beat the Storm, and played both of those teams in Wichita. And they got the sweep in both matches, uh, which, I mean, we can talk all we want about, uh, you know, how ruthlessly efficient they were, Eric, but pretty shrewd move by Todd and the team because, as we know from the RPI, which we'll get to in a second, 
you get a little bit more credit for a road win. And as far as I can tell, neither Wichita nor Tulsa are going to, they're not flipping those weekends, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, they're not going to come here. UCF is going to end up playing them both times on the road. Correct. Uh, When they return later in the year, they'll be at Wichita and at Tulsa. Now the Tulsa win, they played Tulsa in Wichita on Friday, swept them in three sets, then swept Wichita on Sunday, both on the road. So it'll be like a road road. Now I think that does help the resume from the standpoint of, hey, it's more road and neutral matches. I think I gave, I tweeted out the stat. UCF's now played as many matches in the state of Kansas than they have in the at home. <laughs> Five <laughs> matches each. Wow. Uh, yeah, because they so, played the they played the non conference uh, tournament at KU. Yeah, correct. So. Uh, if you're going to play those, you're better off playing them on the road than at home because, you you know, it, th- those teams are not great. Res- uh, RPI teams are barely in the top 100. Uh, but they took care of business in quick fashion, where it's efficient and dominant. And as a result, off to one of their best starts in program history, 12-0, and ranked 23rd in the country, 7th in the RPI that officially came out on Monday, yep. which puts you in a mix to host. And that's what this team is in the mix for, is to host. Now, they weren't in the top 10 of the committee that came out with their top 10 committee uh, rankings on Sunday. So, you know, read into whatever you want to read into that. But I think with, they would be in 11 through 16, though, don't you think? I think so. I, I think they're probably, yeah, I mean, probably in that mix with Wisconsin, Georgia Tech. Yeah, 13 to 16. But obviously, the big match this Friday night at Houston, this is the match. This is the one everybody has circled in the league. Houston is 19 in the RPI. So that's a big match for both teams. This mm-hmm. is the conference championship. I think these are the two best teams in the league. And if UCF's going to get knocked off, this is the match in Houston right here. Yeah. Well, let's look at, okay, seven in the RPI, Eric. Six teams above them right now. Texas, Louisville, Ohio State, Pitt, Stanford, and San Diego out of the West Coast Conference. Uh, we don't see another AAC team until, like you said, Houston, who comes in at, at 13-2. and two. How about the how about the future Big Twelve in volleyball right now? By the way, Eric, uh, you have UC the top two teams, <laughs> UCF and Houston, <laughs> and you don't see another future Big Twelve team until uh, Kansas at twenty six, who UCF beat. Yeah, no, so. I mean you're right; they could fit right into the Big Twelve. You wish they were in the Big 12 now. because oh, no if, kidding. UCF, if UCF was in the Big 12 now, I would feel pretty comfortable about UCF hosting because the Big 12 is just a stronger league than the American. We're not going to dive into that right now. It's too early for that. But the bottom line is for UCF, they have put themselves in position to accomplish a lot of their goals. But, you know, you've called this out. You felt Houston's the threat. Here we are Friday night in Houston. I'm curious what kind of crowd they're going to get in Houston. To me, this is a huge match for Houston to prove they're legit. They've had a good season. They've beaten Mississippi State and LSU. I think mm-hmm. the league's in good They beat position. UCF last year in beat a surprise. Beat them at home at UCF. So I think this is UCF's biggest threat. If UCF gets past Houston, I really do believe an undefeated season is on the table for this team. Oh, my God. I can't I, believe I really, I'm just telling you. that's If you look at the schedule, it's made. But for Houston, they got to prove they're legit. They probably have the two best players in the league are right here. The question is, has Houston made up ground on UCF? We're going to find out Friday night. Can't wait to watch it. Bryson uh, uh, McKenna Melville right now, 13, or excuse me, uh, 2,189 total kills, uh, according to UCF. So she's 311 from 2,500. But again, like Eric was saying, though, Bryson, this weekend does shape up pretty big. Indeed, it does, Jeff. A lot, I, I still remember Todd Dagenet telling me last year how the team did not play to win in that loss last year against Houston. I'm, I am almost certain that he is dr- he had made he has made sure to drill into his players this time that we are playing to win. There's no playing it safe. You get we you have to get the win, both wins against Houston. And this one, I think, is going to be the more dangerous one of the two, it being on the road. Um, Houston, I've looked at their schedule. They're 13 and two overall. They're only two losses coming against all coming on the road at number one Texas and to, and also early their season opener against Rice in Baton Rouge, who received votes. 
other than that, they've been taking, they've been cleaning up in conference play. Um, that pretty much getting a handily win. They did have a three to two win at Tulane, mm-hmm. but I think that this is, like you said, this is going to be the match up there that they've had their things scrolled on. And I'm very excited to see how it turns out because this will probably determine the league. Yeah, uh, we're looking at, by the way, UCF does play Tulane after that on Sunday at two uh, in New Orleans. So that that sort of Houston, New Orleans road trip coming this weekend for UCF, they're back home Friday, October 14th uh, against the Temple Owls. Switching gears over to soccer. Let's look at the men's side for right now. Uh, they and uh, this is if you're listening to this, and it's Wednesday afternoon prior to the game. Get yourself to the soccer stadium right now so you can watch UCF take on SMU number twenty three SMU in football before they play each other in football. Um, this is this is this is as intense a rivalry cross sport. Like if you consider, you know, rivalries, Eric, you know, in certain sports, right? I think UCF Cincinnati in volleyball, right? UCF USF in football, UCF Cincinnati in football to an extent. I think UCF SMU men's soccer is up there with UCF women's soccer against Memphis, maybe higher in terms of the quality of play of these two schools over the past five years uh, and the intensity of the games that they've played against each other and a lot at stake. And we get another shot at it uh, uh, this weekend with uh, UCF uh, playing at home. The Knights right now at four and three, kind of treading water after two straight losses in conference at number 24, Memphis. And then at home uh, prior to uh, uh, on uh, Saturday, October the 1st against FAU. So they're kind of hurting for one right now, aren't they? Yeah, especially after the FAU loss. That was a bad loss from a resume standpoint. It dropped UCF. You know, it cost UCF over 30 spots in the RPI unofficially. They're 107 now in the RPI after that loss. Now, the good news is you're in the third strongest league in the sport, and you got a ton of top 50 games ahead of you. The bad news is you're in the third strongest league in the sport, and you've got a lot of top teams ahead of you, including SMU. And what could be their final matchup of this rivalry, conference championships, it's usually high, up-tempo, intense matchup. I'll be curious how UCF comes out after that tough loss against FAU. I know Coach Calabrese said after the match to Bryson he wasn't happy with the way that the, the intensity of the team, the lack of ball possession. So that was lacking all of it in the FAU, ma- in the FAU match, whereas FAU treated that like their Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. SMU, on the other hand, nine RPI. They're another strong team, typical SMU team. Uh, it's going to be an exciting match. It's a heck of a doubleheader on Wednesday. I mean, I do think that's a great – it's kind of unfortunate. It's kind of been thrown on the backside because of the football game. But this is a big match. Could be the last one. And I do think UCF needs to kind of turn the corner here before this season slips because it's going to be hard to just make the conference tournament in this league, let alone yeah. making the at-large right now. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're a UCF diehard, get yourself to the soccer game before the football game. And because they because they need – a good crowd for that game to get them going. We saw how that works. Remember when we hosted the American played SMU in that, probably the greatest college soccer game I've ever seen that semifinal between those two teams. Uh, just remarkable, by the way, Hey, FAU two Oh and one they're leading the conference. SMU's at two and one tied with FIU and Memphis leading the conference right now. I mean, this is th- this newfangled American this year is uh is proving itself to be exactly as difficult a league as we uh, thought it would be uh, heading into uh, as we head into the meat of this conference uh, schedule. All right. On the other side, the uh, women's soccer team at two, two and four still, they have yet to play a post Ian game. They were scheduled to play Cincinnati at home on Thursday, the 29th. That was the day the storm hit. Uh, that game has been moved back to the 13th, uh, which is a Thursday, October 13th. So they play Thursday night at Temple in Philadelphia. And uh, for a team that right now has gotten, uh, has uh, is winless in their last four. They have two losses and two ties. Uh, in fact, they only have one win in their previous seven matches. Uh, to uh, to kind of give you an ex- to kind of give you an example of what's going on, um, they got to start getting some results up on the board because uh, they're running out of games here 
in the American. And right now, when we look at the American uh, women's soccer standings, ECU, how about ECU? They're off to a good start at 2-0 and 1 in the league, 7-4 and 2 overall. South Florida is doing their thing up near the top of the league at 2-1. and UCF right now at 0-0-1, tied with Cincinnati for third to last in the American with just one point to their ledger. Now, obviously, that's going to catch up, right, Eric? But they got to they got to start putting some results. Oh, they got to play. That's the problem. Is they haven't yeah. been able to play. They haven't played since September 18th at Texas when they had a draw there. So they've been off for a long time, which really makes this interesting with this long layoff. How are they going to come out at Temple, which is a must win? Temple is one of the bottom mm-hmm. teams. Then they got the big match against. In fact, they're the, they are the bottom team. They're only right. one five and four. So right. Then you come back home to face SMU in a big match there. Uh, how are they going to come out with a, such a long layoff? The big benefactor you would think is Kristen Scott. Remember, Kristen Scott has had an injury, was mm-hmm. out. You would think this long layoff would benefit her the most. She should be fit to be back, but they have a long layoff. It's almost like a resumption of a season here. Like it's going to yeah. be interesting how they get back in the flow of things, and they need to get results. To your point, uh, because this league is wacky this year. It's upside down. And it might be just a one or two bid league. The conference title is up for grabs. UCF's RPI is 46 going into this week. Uh, that's right on the bubble. They need to get mm-hmm. some wins here under to like you said, and they're gonna have a lot of matches on the back end here. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know what to expect because again, this is so weird to have a team all way off for basically three weeks without playing a competitive match. Do you see Memphis's record, by the way? They haven't, yeah, they've had like four straight draws, I think. Four straight draws. They're 0-0-3 in the conference. They've drawn their first three conference match. They, it's interesting, like this, this new, the, the new rule. Now, I know it doesn't apply, or, or, or the, uh, or it does apply in conference, obviously, but the new rule with the overtime rules, it's kind of wreaking havoc with the results right now. A lot of draws. This league has definitely been, uh, been part of that. It's going to be weird. I mean, this is a weird league. Anything goes wide open south florida had a terrible non-conference season but oh, they're yeah. starting to figure it out in conference but i don't know what to expect and hopefully the ucf <laughs> comes out sharp because you can't a, a win is a must at temple you can't have a draw against temple right. because temp, that's gonna kill your resume so hopefully Kristen scott's back and then you take care of business then you got a big match against smu uh, I will be filling in calling that match. That's got big ramifications as far as the resume is concerned. From here on out, every match is critical from the resume because this league is down. It might be just a one or two bid league this year. On the other hand, if you get two, you get two wins, two straight, all of a sudden that's six points. Yep, right, right back, back in the in thick it. of it. Yep. yep. Uh, quick, quickly, uh, Bryson, last little bit. We've got cross country. Uh, FAU Invitational down in Boca last Friday, as we were just crawling out of our uh, of our hidey holes uh, for the from this storm, uh, UCF uh, put together a really nice performance down in Boca, winning the F of the Florida Atlantic Invitational. Not just the team victory, but uh, but also a, a, a big victory for uh, uh, overall for the program. I think I saw Penelope Sosa right won the five k. Yes, she did by almost by about 27 seconds, but from her to second place back when I back when I previewed the cross country team with with head coach Brian Jackson and Anne Marie Blaney, he mentioned to me that Rich that Isabella Richardson, who did who didn't race this this week and Sosa were the two biggest standouts of the true among the true freshmen this season. And this and this time Sosa had her time to shine. So I'm very intrigued now because now that Sosa has had her big breakthrough moment, I am going to be very interested to see if the stars can align for Richardson and Sosa to put together two good performances together. Because as with the way cross country works, the more higher up finishes you have, the better. Well, I think I think back to what Anne-Marie told us, right, and and told you in particular, um, it's about finishing as a pack. And what happened in this in this particular meet, you had six of the top 10 UCF went one, four, five, six, seven, nine. Uh, you have, uh, what eight of the top 15 and everyone finished in the top 45. So that's a big, uh, so that's a big boost for, for everybody. Their next up is October 15th. They got two weeks off before they go to college station for the Arturo Barrios invite hosted by 
Texas A&M. And then that's it for their regular season. The American Athletic Conference Championship meet is in Tulsa on October 28th at the end of the month. So off we go with uh, cross country, hoping to uh, get themselves fine tuned. looks like they took a big step toward that against FAU. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our rather abbreviated post storm edition of the black and gold banneret podcast. You can follow us, of course, as always at UCF banneret underscore SBN. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo. It's Bryson Turner. Also, thank you to uh, Andrew Glukov, stat boy Drew on Twitter as well. Make sure you follow Kyle Nash at the SOTG for all the latest. Follow our outstanding photographers, Derek Warden at underscore DS Warden. Uh, and of course, uh, don't forget to follow uh, Noah Goldberg at the Noah Goldberg. You can subscribe to us also on Facebook, facebook.com slash black and gold banneret and subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have all the latest post-game reaction uh, and interviews from around the world of UCF sports. If you subscribe to our podcast already, we thank you for that. Make sure you leave us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you don't, please do. We are on both Apple and Android devices for all of us here at black and gold banneret. I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening again. Our hearts go out to the folks uh, who who lost both, who lost so much during this storm uh, uh, with uh, with Hurricane Ian, um, not just in Central Florida but throughout the state. Uh, and uh, again, we're you know we're thinking about you and we're hoping that at least we can give you a little bit of respite from uh, what's been going on uh, with a little UCF sports. So on behalf of all of us, we will see you for night shift after UCF and SMU football on Wednesday night. Thank you so much for listening. Go Knights, charge on. See you Wednesday night.